From KTOO, I'm Katie Anastas. City leaders say Juno's emergency cold weather shelter will likely be at a city-owned warehouse in Thane, about a mile from downtown. The decision comes just after the Congregation of Resurrection Lutheran Church finally voted in favor of running it this winter. The church's pastor says it's still the best option, but the city says it's moving forward with the warehouse. Resurrection Lutheran Church ran Juno's emergency cold weather shelter for the last two years. The church is in the Flats neighborhood downtown. But this summer, that congregation voted twice not to run it again. No other providers offered to run the shelter because they didn't have suitable space. In a third vote on Sunday, the congregation finally approved the shelter by one vote. But Deputy City Manager Robert Barr says he'd already been working on a backup plan with the nonprofit St. Vincent de Paul. Since Resurrection Lutheran has voted this down twice, and it was it was obviously a super narrow vote this Sunday, um, I have been working closely with St. Vincent's on a backup plan. That plan involves St. Vincent de Paul running the shelter out of a city-owned warehouse in Thane, about a mile away from downtown. Resurrection Lutheran pastor Karen Perkins says the decision is baffling. I was surprised and frustrated and disappointed and hurt and and concerned because at the end of the day, you know, what matters is are people served by this? Does this actually address the problem it's supposed to address and how well does it address the problem? Perkins says it's better than a city bus, which Barr had floated as a last-ditch option. But she thinks the city should still give the church a chance to host the shelter, now that the congregation has voted yes. Perkins says walking to the warehouse will be dangerous, and that danger might prevent people from seeking out services there. That road, because of the way the road goes, gets a lot of wind, and the the sidewalks are narrow, and they're going to be covered with berms once there's snow. Barr says the location does make transportation more complicated. It's one of the reasons the city initially ruled out the warehouse. But he says St. Vincent de Paul, the Glory Hall, police, and the fire department's CARES program could help drive people there. Barr says the location could also address some of the concerns residents had when Resurrection Lutheran ran the shelter. Some congregants and neighbors worried about vandalism and loitering at the church, which is near Harborview Elementary School. Thane has some advantages to it, right? Most notable among them being that it is not in a residential neighborhood, not close to a school. But Perkins says having the warming shelter in a neighborhood can provide consistency for the people who use it. The church also runs a food pantry, and people are familiar with their staff. Having it away from away from communities um, doesn't doesn't support better better outcomes for the patrons, and um, it 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 is not detrimental to communities the way a lot of times people assume it is. Dave Ringel, executive director of Juno's St. Vincent de Paul chapter, says the location comes with some challenges, but one advantage is the size of the warehouse. They plan to serve 35 to 50 people a night. And Ringel says there's enough space to accommodate more if needed. Another advantage of having a very large space would be it might allow us to, it might allow our guests more space and eliminate some of the uh, conflicts and confrontations that might come when you have everybody crowded into a smaller area. Ringel says St. Vincent de Paul has strong relationships with other homeless service providers in Juneau, including the Glory Hall and AWARE. 
The three organizations now have community navigators who help connect people to housing, medical care, and other services. I think that's going to make a big difference. The warehouse already has heating, insulation, and electricity. Part of it is used to process ballots, and the rest is used for storage. The city will have to remove items it stores there and add porta-potties. Barr says he hopes to have that done by the end of October. The Juneau Assembly still has to approve the use of the warehouse for the shelter. The Assembly's next meeting is on October 23rd. Governor Mike Dunleavy is looking for a replacement for the legislative seat vacated by state lawmaker Josiah Alex Ruick Putkatuck. Putkatuck resigned on Tuesday after being elected North Slope Borough mayor last week. His district is the northernmost in the state and covers the North Slope and Northwest Arctic boroughs. Democrat Donnie Olson represents the region in the Alaska Senate. He says he's been talking to Dunleavy about the appointment. As we look at a replacement for them, somebody that's going to be strong, somebody that's going to be identifying with the people that are there, but more importantly, probably the most important thing that I see is the reelectability of that person where they can build up some longevity and, and some history so that we don't have to be dealing with a fresh a candidate all the time. Typically, legislative replacements are chosen by the governor from the same political party as the departing legislator. But Putkatuck was elected in 2022 as an independent, so Dunleavy can choose from any party. By law, the governor has 30 days to appoint Putkatuck's replacement, who must be a resident of the district. Olson says he expects Dunleavy to pick someone with similar priorities as the governor, but does not necessarily expect them to be Republican. For people that live in rural and come from rural Alaska, they usually are uh, more concerned about the personality and the ability to go and work closely with them as opposed to the um, hardline party-type people that stick to their caucus no matter what, right or wrong. Patkatuk's replacement will serve the remainder of his term, which is set to end in 2024. Residents of District 40 have until Tuesday, October 31st, to apply for Putkatuk's seat. The cast and crew of a reality television show will start filming this weekend in a popular hunting spot near Petersburg. They'll stay there for the next 40 days. That means a longer season for some local transportation and hospitality businesses. But the project is also pushing aside hunters in the middle of deer and moose season. As KFSK's Shelby Herbert reports, some subsistence users in the area feel that the U.S. Forest Service didn't consider their needs when they greenlit the project yesterday. Sixteen players are about to compete in a game of survival for a potential million-dollar prize. What I imagine is like an adult Hunger Games. Outlast is a survival show where contestants are dropped into the Alaskan wilderness to compete for a cash prize. It's only had one season so far, filmed on Chichikov Island, and the competition is cutthroat. Acts of sabotage are commonplace between contestants, including, infamously, setting rival campsites on fire. The U.S. Forest Service authorized Netflix and the BBC to shoot the second season of Outlast in Little Duncan Bay, a popular fishing, hunting, and recreation area about 20 miles southeast of Petersburg. The show will bring in about 60 people to live and work on location through mid-November. But as the cast gets eliminated, crew numbers will decrease proportionally. Ray Bourne is Petersburg's district ranger. 
He says a few charter pilots, boat captains, caterers, and borough officials told him that this would be an economic boon for Petersburg. Again, they're bringing in about a million dollars into the community for this project. So there's economic value that way. And part of our mission in the Forest Service is to help take care of the community. In fact, one borough assembly member already has a contract to transport the film crew, Scott Newman. But not everybody in the community is happy. Least of all, subsistence users. Uh, Seems misguided. There's going to be some grumpy people over this. Lee Gilpin is a subsistence hunter and was speaking from the exact location Outlast is set to take place. He was out hunting moose in late September and saw the film crew staking out the coast. He says it's a high-traffic hunting spot, especially for local kids. My daughter uh, grew up hunting in this area. Every deer she's ever killed has been inside the area that's being discussed here. The federal government usually prioritizes the interests of subsistence users over commercial in rural areas, but not in this case. In its decision memo, the Forest Service said the filming will affect access to subsistence resources within the proposed area. But the scale of the impact on subsistence is not significant within the overall traditional use area. Brett Uppencamp oversees special use permits for the Petersburg Ranger District. He says the Outlast crew has to follow a long list of rules to use the area. Essentially, like, if they can cut trees down or if they can have fires, um, how they're going to dispose of human waste. And for wildlife interactions, like, they need to ensure they're not overly harassing wildlife. The Forest Service opened up a week-long comment period to gather feedback on the permit. About 50 people responded. Feedback was fairly mixed. The Outlast cast and crew will film around Little Duncan until mid-November. By that time, one determined contestant will have won their million-dollar prize, but some locals will have missed their chance to get a prize buck. In Petersburg, I'm Shelby Herbert.